Hello, welcome to the Healing of Emotional Wounds podcast. My name is Alan Mulhern. Today we're going to cover the inability to heal, resulting from the difficulty or impossibility of integration. The following case I'm going to relate makes clearer the dynamics operating when there is a serious block to integration caused by damaged character components of the deep psyche. Therapy is not always successful. The deep psyche is not always accessible, and even when it is, healing is not guaranteed. Transpersonal vision may be possible, but the psyche may not have the capacity to integrate its meaning and energy. Sometimes parts of the emotional structure are damaged and cannot heal, no matter how heroic the efforts. Likewise, for all who undertake this journey, it is important not to underestimate its difficulty. Ironically, in some cases, the self, big S, is healthy enough to transmit information of its inability to heal a wound. This can take place in scans, visualisations, dreams, and in fact by any method that contacts the deep psyche. By examining carefully a case where healing does not occur, yet where many of the healing prerequisites are in place, one can distinguish and highlight those components which are lacking, and therefore, by inference, play a vital role in successful integration when it does work. Let's look at a case study of someone we'll call James. I call it the limits of resources. James was a 44-year-old divorcee. He lived alone and had recently left his work since he could no longer cope with its stress. He had no spiritual background, professing little interest in this area. He had a serious emotional crisis in his infancy and a number of breakdowns in his adult life requiring medication. He presented to therapy with depression and after two years' work he made progress, understanding its roots and its impact on his life. He also had demoralising health problems. His emotional crisis had a pattern. He would feel isolated, neglected and endangered. He would then retire from the world seeing nobody, simply closing the curtains, becoming immobile and staring into his computer. He would not take care of himself and eventually he would fall ill. He would refuse to see a doctor and rapidly deteriorate. We realised this followed a pattern established in infancy. He had been ill shortly after birth and was kept in a special incubator for weeks in relative isolation. On returning to his mother, he was passive and required considerable attention before returning to normal feeding. James could understand the pattern and probable origins of his emotional vulnerability. This was reinforced by ample dreams, pointing to the origins of his problems and his reactive defences to feeling alone and unprovided for. We could formulate strategies to combat his crisis. However, he was unable to get to its root, a core despair, and heal it. As a result of this stagnation, I suggested we examine his deep psyche in a new way. James was able to complete the first three stages of the psychotherapy process, as outlined here. He responded to containment and established a good working alliance. He engaged in the analysis of his character and family history. He was able to engage in the first two steps since he had accessible material and he was able to work psychologically with it. It was only in the final part of the integration stage, the requirement for character change, that he faced a tragic difficulty. His answers, obtained in scans, 
to questions and visualisations, will provide us indirectly with information regarding this. His incapacity to integrate by engaging in character reform was the central block to his healing. He requested that I pose questions to him. These questions, although expressed by me, arose organically from the deeper contents of his psyche, dreams and so forth. We went through a series of visualisations. His first visualisation was centred around the question, what is this force gripping you when you are in crisis? He closed his eyes, breathed quietly for a few minutes, entered into his deeper body state, and immediately there came the image of himself as a prisoner in a rock cave. Comments. James was surprised that underneath his passivity there was an immense force gripping him. So at first his depression seemed to be something alien and powerful, trapping him against his will and holding him prisoner. The second question was, does the cave do anything else besides entrap you? James's immediate answer was, it also protected him from emotional pain. Comments. At this point, James could interpret the function of his depression, serving to isolate and numb him from pain and fear. He realised, therefore, he had an illusory feeling of safety, since being numb and trapped was a danger to him. The next question was, can the cave be left? Visualising himself back in the cave, he realises there is a way out. However, the escape route is very high, and he knows he is not strong enough to reach it. Within this visualisation, he had another set of images. He is taken back to his infancy and being separated from his mother. He is full of tears and feels despair. This ends and he is back inside the cave. Comments. James hardly needed to interpret this scene. His inner world told him he lacked inner healing resources and energy. He is next informed, so to speak, within the visualisation of the origin of this problem. His early separation from his mother left him structurally damaged, lacking trust and belief in himself or in the world. He knew this lay at the root of all his later difficulties. My next question was, can this separation wound be healed? He immediately imagines becoming a priest in the church service, which was very moving, provoking feelings of divine love. He is called to the bishop's palace for instructions on entering the priesthood. All would be elevated, holy and sublime. However, in the next visualisation, he goes to see the Pope, but can't find the way to Rome and ends up in danger on a deserted road in the Pyrenees. The final question was, can the healthy parts predominate? That is, the healthy parts of James. I'm asking the question on his behalf, remember? This time, James did not need to go into his inner world. He simply looked at me and said, I know they can't. I just can't believe in them. Comments. James could not heal his separation wounds in a natural way. For example, by finding love with a partner. Neither could he find this love inside of himself. So the psyche began to look for it from higher sources, the divine. He attempted to unite with this, becoming a priest, and seemed to make some headway. 
but then lost his way in a fruitless attempt to find the source of it, i.e. the Pope in Rome. Here one sees, tragically, the consequences of a lack of access to the higher self. His efforts to heal himself were blocked, since he did not have access to his higher self and its transformational energy, especially the energy of spiritual love. Finally, he admitted he could not believe in any rejuvenating energy within himself. Healing energy could not be utilised because of the core despair in James. He simply did not possess character components in his psyche, such as optimism, energetic determination and self-belief. James had a number of disadvantages which were hard to overcome. He had experienced early trauma, leaving him vulnerable. He was prone to despair when he encountered adversity. He was alone, without work, without a friendship system, and had a history of breakdowns. To his advantage, he was intelligent, introspective, and could contact his inner world very easily. He had an abundance of visualisation material, which he tapped into effortlessly. Moreover, it was precise in diagnosis, rich in symbol, and accurate in prognosis indicating healthy components of his psyche. He was courageous, since he was willing to try for a long period through extensive inner journeys to find the source of his problems and hopefully heal them. He could understand the symbolism of his inner world and visualisations very quickly. However, he couldn't integrate the emerging positive opportunities, but would instead slip back into the same hopeless dilemmas. He was dominated by negativity because of his early illness and separation from his mother. He had not those core feelings of goodness, hope, trust and confidence. These character components were very weak since they were built on flawed foundations of early separation experiences. He fundamentally felt despair. In the inner struggle of opposites between light and dark, it was ultimately the negative side that dominated with insufficient hope, goodness, optimism and self-belief. The two-way positive movement, the flow of healthy energy between ego character and components of the deep psyche, which should ideally exist promoting integration and character reform, was damaged. Eric Erikson's foundational stage of human development the need to establish basic trust, was flawed. Integration requires the presence of essential character components. In James's case, pieces of the jigsaw were missing. Progress and transformation were unreachable. However, his deep psyche was healthy enough to tell him that it was not healthy enough to cure him. Various points can be drawn from this. It is possible for someone to function well in the first three stages of psychotherapy, the early working alliance, character analysis, alignment to the deep psyche, yet falter in the final fourth stage of integration. The integration stage has been broken down into three subparts. It is possible that the first two parts, access to the healthy material and the ability to work psychologically with it, may be highly developed, as in the case of James. But while this is necessary for healing, it is not sufficient. With respect to the third part of the integration process, if, as in the case of James, 
some inner energy is lacking, then healing may be deficient. His visualizations inform us that the origins of this are in his early separation trauma and core feelings of despair. Inner resources or deficiencies may be thought of as character components, which can be positive or negative, and are a blend of constitutional and environmental determinants. Strong faith, trust, determination, natural optimism, belief and self-esteem are examples of vital positive components in healing energy. In summary, access to inner resources is a precious healing component. However, if inner character components, natural healing energies, are seriously damaged and also access to the higher self is blocked, then healing energy may be ultimately unavailable. Integration is made impossible. This was the case with James. In spite of the rapid access to his inner world, the ampleness of the material, its very revealing diagnostic capacity, and his rapid understanding of symbolic forms of communication. Therefore, in cases such as these, the general healing and individuation process may not be completed. Since the case study just mentioned concerns a non-healing wound, despite access to the deep psyche, there comes to mind the tale of an intriguing character in the Arthurian Grail Legends, that is the Grail Legends connected with Arthur. And this tale concerns a king with a dreadful wound that will not heal. There are many variations of this story and its popularity has persisted in one form or another down to modern times, with Wagner's opera Parsifal being a notable example. It may have an original Middle Eastern template giving it an archetypal death and resurrection structure, while its Celtic form shrouds it in legends and fairy tales. Upon this is superimposed a Christian tale of knights, the grail, chivalry, and the cultural and religious clothing of the European Middle Ages. By way of synopsis, it tells of a crippled king living in a remote castle in ancient Britain, who frequently fishes in a lake, hence he's called the Fisher King. He has a terrible wound and his kingdom is a wasteland. The grail is the cup or dish used at the Last Supper, which once held the blood of Christ, the most sacred object for the knights of the round table, the inspiration of their quest and source of ultimate healing. Yet the crippled king, the latest of its keepers, cannot avail himself of its healing powers. He guards the grail, the sacred cup of healing, but he can't be healed himself. Knights such as Percival, Galahad and Bors try to help cure him. They have to find the remote but wonderful castle, pass through many curious adventures en route, and eventually, after great difficulty, enter the castle where mysterious events take place. Clearly, this castle is in a magical or liminal territory. In psychological terms, immersed in the unconscious. In some versions, it is Galahad who cures the king. In others, and more typically, it is Percival, who has to undergo a transformation, a journey of spiritual and personality development, from being uncouth and foolish to being a knight worthy of finding the grail and curing the Fisher King. Percival, or Parsifal, as the Wagner opera calls him, 
on his first visit, fails to help heal the Fisher King and leaves the castle where he learns the source of his failure. He did not ask the Fisher King one vital question. Whom does the Grail serve? He has to return to the castle, an arduous task taking many years, but now asks a different question when he finally arrives. What ails thee? Which in ancient English means, from what do you suffer? In some version, the king is healed, while in others he dies, and Percival inherits the kingdom. There are many possible interpretations of this story. Those of Jungian persuasion stress the archetypal world. Maria Louise von Franz, in her foreword to a joint book with Emma Young, The Grail Legend, writes, Like alchemy and its curious symbolic productions, these poetic fantasy creations and their symbolisms are also illustrative of deep-seated unconscious processes that are still of the greatest significance, for they prepare the way to and anticipate the religious problem of modern man. This modern religious problem was, for Carl Jung, a loss of soul, here symbolised by the wounded Fisher King. Modern mankind, perhaps most people, like him are wounded and suffering, lacking access to higher healing powers, even though the grail lies within their castle, that is, within their psyche. A fresh approach and energy with access to higher powers is required, as is asking the right question. In many fairy tales and legends, asking the right question, giving the right answer, or choosing the right path have enormous implications. Fairy tales frequently point to fresh energy, wisdom, or solutions coming from an unexpected source, perhaps a fool, an animal, or a child. In this case, while the fascinating questions are revealed, their answers are withheld, creating suspense in the listener. For whom, indeed, does the grail serve? And what does ail, that is, suffer, the man who has the grail in his castle, but cannot be healed? And why are these questions so important? Here lies a riddle to intrigue any court in the Middle Ages. The king symbolises ruling forces of the psyche, the ego in its dominant complexes, that have now failed. His kingdom is a wasteland, signifying that this ruling consciousness has come to a standstill. Sterility, emptiness, meaninglessness dominate. His wound is in the thigh or testes. Creativity has gone and it has been called the wound that won't heal because all normal methods have failed. What is required is deep magic and he fishes in the lake of the unconscious. For deep wounds, healing can only be effected from the deep psyche where numinous forces are found. The king cannot do this alone. He needs help, which Percival, innocent and uncourtly, attempts to provide. Yet this sufferer, the Fisher King, also holds the grail, the integrative wholeness of the psyche unrealised within him. Such tales may have had great literal significance for those in the Middle Ages who indeed did live in kingdoms, where so much depended on the strength, vitality, procreativity and intelligence, or otherwise, of the ruler. 
but they also have symbolic significance relating to the psyche and its dilemmas, its urge to be healed, grow and resolve the arm passes that beset it. The tale has poignant implications. Consulting rooms of psychotherapists are, of course, full of clients suffering the malaises of our time. Depression, narcissism, addiction, abuse, depression, isolation and a sense of meaninglessness. Emotional wounds often appear chronic and even incurable. Access to the deeper psyche, to the self and its powerful transformative properties may be blocked. Each and every individual has a kingdom, the psyche, has wounds and suffering requiring healing, is required to confront the inner darkness, the sense of sterility, mortality and meaninglessness, needs access to the higher and original powers of the psyche, the grail, in order to overcome chronic wounds and allow the kingdom to prosper. The Fisher King is everyman, the new, fresh, original, innocent, yet determined and long-suffering principle is the Percival symbol, which is capable of transforming the hitherto incurable wound, the division in the psyche and its loss of meaning, its lack of connection to the soul, with its energy, guidance and transformative powers. The Grail is the divine inside the psyche, and therefore it serves God, or the higher self in modern terminology. In its turn, it is available to all who wish to cure their psyche of its wounds. A blessing, a gift of renewal and rebirth. It is inextricably bound up with suffering. Those who contact it know they must serve it. Everyone who undergoes this path of healing and renewal has to find an individual answer to questions such as these. To find out what is their relationship to this force and intelligence inside of themselves. The grail is the natural healing intelligence, the wholeness and beauty of the psyche. It is available to all, a servant of none. Despite the tale being inherently enigmatic and capable of numerous interpretations, it seems it is the Fisher King's attitude or something in his character structure that blocks access to the healing properties of the Grail. In our previous case study, in James's case, there is also a problem with integration. Both the King and James have access to the numinous forces of the deep psyche, that is, the alignment of the deep psyche. They are both skilled in interpreting its messages, they have symbolic capacity. However, James has damage in key character components, preventing him from integrating the essential healing energy from the deep psyche, and he lacks access to a higher love. These two factors block his integration. So too with the Fisher King. One suspects some basic fault in the integration mechanism. After all, he has the grail in his castle, but cannot achieve his own healing. It is not that this healing cannot occur, but that it requires a transformation of attitude. That is why it is the questions that are so very important. It is the manner in which he approaches the grail and his own suffering. Components of his character have to change. Although he is the grail keeper, 
he needs to serve it, to become humble, rather than believe he owns it, to adopt the simple, non-intellectual path like Percival. And most importantly, he has to look inwards at what is really ailing him. From this perspective, his inability to integrate the Grail's healing power is due to flaws in his character. The three steps of integration have now been described, and it is clear each forms a necessary link in a total process. If any one of these links is absent, or seriously weak, the process of integration is likely to stall or fail, and the healing process will not be complete. This integration stage does not necessarily have a spiritual dimension to it. In the case of Helen, our case study in the last podcast, one observes an analysis and integration process with respect to normal character components and attitudes. Conversely, when spiritual components of this journey are activated, they also need integration in order to become effective. In the case of James, spiritual components emerge in his contact and alignment to the deep psyche, stage three, but he found it impossible to integrate these messages. Integration, therefore, is a multi-step process, centering on the ability to link and unite healthy and diverse parts of the psyche, especially the conscious and the unconscious, as well as to engage in the concomitant process of character reform, shifting the centre of personality closer to the self. The case studies given earlier indicate how integration may occur in the therapeutic work and they attempt to detail the process at a micro level, how it works in a nitty-gritty way, how piecemeal gains are made and what is required for progress. On the other hand, the macro level is concerned with how integration is conceived as an overall process. It has a panoramic view of the purpose of the opus, the end goal, the telos, the grand purpose of human life, and has been presented by many writers and therapists from young onwards. An eloquent and persuasive account is given by Washburn in his book The Ego and the Dynamic Ground, where he outlines how the dualism of consciousness and the unconscious is transcended by the integration process the coincidencia oppositorum, how the divisions of mind and body, thought-feeling, logic-creativity and civilization and instinct are integrated in the whole human being. My purpose at this stage has been more humble, to examine at an individual, inner level, the components of this process in psychotherapy, how they work dynamically, what may block integration and how the therapist may help which components of the client's psyche may aid or impede this process. In other words, to supplement the grander vision of the philosopher or spiritual sage with the practitioner's need to work in the living psyche.